Hello, I'm Emma Rice, the Artistic Director of Wise Children, and you're listening to Wise Children's Lockdown. Our lockdown project is about us finding ways of staying close to each other. On this show, I call up an old friend, play some records, and most importantly, get to chat and reminisce. Come and join us for Tea and Biscuits. And welcome to Wise Children's Lockdown Tea and Biscuits. And today I am talking to the legend that is Mike Shepherd. Hello, Mike. Hello, hello. Right, so the first question I have to ask you is, what is your virtual or actual biscuit that you are eating now? Well, funny you should say this, because I have made a biscuit that I think is quite tasty, but... The other people in lockdown with me have rejected it and actually been very critical of it. Um, I'm in a kind of freaky paradise, otherwise known as the knee-high barns, and on the hill above the beach, there's Lamb Ledger House, which is just the most beautiful house, and it's got the most beautiful vegetable garden. Um, and I rang the owners up, and they're delighted that I'm doing a bit of gardening. So there were two things to pick there was some rainbow chard very pretty very tasty and there was some rhubarb so i made myself rhubarb crumble and then forgot about it and it turned into a biscuit so <laughs> with a bit of effort you can cut them into biscuit shapes and mm, they're delicious uh, and what what um, what would other people say about them? What's the criticism of your rhubarb biscuits? Uh, well, I think simply without without I, I presume that I'm not allowed to swear, but just um, implying in no uncertain terms that they're inedible. <laughs> <laughs> I like them though; they're still a bit chewy. Yeah. Well, I, good for you making a biscuit or a crumble crumble biscuit. Exactly. Um, so you've answered my second question, which is, where are you? But how's your lockdown going? How are you finding it? Well, uh, it's two things at the same time. It's a kind of, Like I say, it is a freaky paradise. I'm, I'm here. There are outer environs. Uh, Lindy Wright is here and Sarah Wright, puppet makers, puppeteers. Lindy is quite extraordinary as an octogenarian, so... Um, things happen, like I say, oh, I wonder, I can't see people going back into auditoriums. I wonder if we should tell little short Calvino stories by firelight. And the next minute, Lindy shows me a picture that she's done of, of what her imagination of what that might look like. Um, but she's she's broken twigs off a tree and then she's fashioned uh, out of an old coffee tin something to make charcoal and put it in the fire so she's drawn it with charcoal that she's made so I'm in this kind of place of extraordinary creative endeavour she picked up off the beach a cuttlefish and beautifully carved it yesterday so I kind of feel totally privileged and in some ways, I think um, I'm kind of relieved of the day-to-day of everything that we have to do and the deadlines that we have to meet. And I sort of feel like a an artist and an artistic director as well. And I'm I, so I feel very, very lucky. But every time I go, oh my God, this is brilliant, that is accompanied by such a trouble, troubled, devastating thought for all those people all over the world that this is so horrendous so yeah it's not a simple enjoyment uh i'm all right jack it's uh, deeply perplexing oh i second that well i'm gonna start with a bit of music um i was just saying to you mike uh, we've been through so many adventures for so many <laughs> years this is just going to be impossible to to even touch on anything so I'm going to narrow down a little bit of the conversation of the day but I felt I couldn't start our tea and biscuits without me talking about the barns and what they meant to me and I mean it's seared into my heart soul and being the first time that I got off the train at St Austell and came down to the barns and met you guys and it was terrifying and remote and strange but I knew 
I just knew that this is where I should be and wanted to be. And um, a bit of my soul has been there forever. And so the first thing I want to play is in memory of the many parties and joyful times we've spent there. And this um, epitomises some of those early years. Um, imagine a beer, imagine the Cornish cliffs, imagine dancing, because we have danced for decades. And this is one of my big memories. Brilliant. with the joyful freedom and wildness of it all and the, the, the power of the friendships that we had and still have. W what a gift is really what I want to say. And I'm very jealous of oh. being there now, Mike. Well, thank you. And the place is infused with you and you made a, made a massive uh, difference to these barns as being a kind of healthy, ongoing, creative space rather than just something 
where me, Tristan Sturrock and Giles King would experiment with gunpowder and make a mess and <laughs> uh, light fires endlessly and drink endlessly. So it, it truly is a creative space and I, I mean, I keep your spirit going with it. So I don't never let it particularly settle here. Um, we, we actually sort of invest time every year in just looking at it and my daughter Ruth really comes and helps and I say right you've got a week um, give it a spruce up paint some things uh, move things around a little bit so yeah it's it, it is a special place it is kind of unique um, and it's it's not the easiest of spaces but uh, that's all part of it you create a company because you all get on with doing what needs to be done it's lovely to hear the Buena Vista Social Club as well. Oh, I know. Gosh, we had some great times, didn't we? Great times. And feeling global as well. I really wanted to play that because we, we felt like such a global company. And and yeah. this moment when suddenly, who knows when we'll be touring, when we'll be travelling, to think of all the adventures and um, how outward-looking we were from this, what could have felt like a tiny place, felt enormous in those days. Enormous. That was that was one of the biggest things with Nei as well. Was you know I mean King Mark and Tristan result says outward, outward lies the way. But that was always the thing for me. And funnily enough, Nei is forty years old this year. So I feel that this bloody virus has marked it for us. I don't need to do anything. But um, I I kind of. Uh, yeah, what that word global. I, I always wanted to be a global system. And when what feels like comparatively recent history, um, Barack Obama pleaded with us all to become global citizens, I thought, oh, this is the future. And let's not talk about what's happened since. But that remains very true to me. So whether it certainly Buena Vista and Cuba, etc., and that there's always been a lot of pressure on the eye to be this Cornish company. Well, we used to get the eye. How does it affect the work? Well, it kind of does, but it's not by going oggy, oggy, oggy and waving a Cornish flag. I, <laughs> I've always hated the kind of nationalistic sense of things. And of course, I celebrate Cornwall as a, a fantastic place where all sorts of fantastic things can happen. And certainly for me, I, I always associated it with a place where you could make things happen. But we all must remember, particularly now, that we're part of a global community. Well, I agree. And that we, we, we were always asked about how Cornwall influenced the work. And it, was, it wasn't, it's to do with the outlook, isn't it? And, I, and the yeah. word that I'm thinking about today, talking to you, is about change. It's a changing climate. The, the, the views change. And I feel that that's the strength of what you were talking about, the barns. The walls actually breathe in the barns. And what you're discussing is you, to keep it creative, you have to keep changing. And I think it's one of the things you do amazingly as an artist and a person is understand the necessity of change and and you sort of ride it you don't lament it you don't get ahead of it or behind it you you really understand how necessary change is and I think that's one of the things that Cornwall taught me is to think big and to think flexibly and the, mm. the landscape teaches you that as well yeah definitely um tell us about your first music choice and why I'm so excited you chose this by the way <laughs> Yeah, um, well, it, it kind of links into to what we're saying. I mean, that that group of us round the fire that you came to on the Cornish cliffs at the Barnes, we kind of all made different choices from the from the business. Really, um, we 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 didn't want to be in the middle of cities. Uh, we didn't want to obey the rules. Um, it was kind of easier for me. It became it became fairly apparent having had an agent for a very short while and done a few auditions. It was fairly clear that I wasn't good enough for whatever reason, and and I still think I wouldn't I wouldn't be successful in any kind of audition. Um, so we were, by our very nature, outsiders that broke the rules. So, but at the same time, we were, we were fiercely ambitious. I, I can remember. When we first ever went to London with the King of Nick Darts, the King of Prussia in 19, 
96 probably and we were at the Donmar warehouse that was being run by Sam Mendes at the time and I can remember repeatedly being asked oh could you have ever envisaged that knee-high would ever and yes from those earliest days yeah I, I wanted to, us to travel I wanted us to travel the world I wanted us to be recognized in the cities as well so that that is a kind of contradiction in what I'm saying I didn't want to just be huddled around that fire drinking all sorts of things I shouldn't be drinking with Giles King um, I, I wanted to be recognized and 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 the 40-year thing that I've mentioned um, when I most of my memories are, are to do with those incredible experiences we had whether it was in the Shabins in Soweto or whether it was in Syria or whether a friend of mine from the Tibet Foundation brought um, in the 90s uh, 17 Tibetan monks that were fleeing the Chinese and we we all lived together here at the barns those are some of my strongest memories but um, and the red shoes your red shoes and touring the world and um, Sexy Starlight was written by Stu Barker and it was when we were at the National again and we were on that amazing Olivier stage and there were all, so there were all sorts of perceived wisdoms about how to use it uh, and I can remember you, not willfully, but no, we didn't use the Revolve, but you created a, the most brilliant Revolve of your own by having a chorus of nurses that cycled on in a circle, a diminishing circle, and then got off, propped their bikes up and all lit a fag. And I'm thinking, oh, brilliant. <laughs> there it is. There's the title, a, a matter of life and death, nurses, cigarettes. Um, we used that backstage. We just opened the space up in all sorts of ways that we shouldn't do. So Sexy Starlight was, was also the amazing Dom Lawton, also known as Dom Coyote, coming in as an apprentice and being thrown in the deep end. And this, this boy, as he was at that time, had this stellar voice that was different from everyone else's. It wasn't, it certainly wasn't a musical theater voice. Um, and you and Stu would work together so well so created that that song um and dom was just asked to sing and i can remember somebody else in the room from the national game well, what are the lyrics and there weren't any lyrics but there was enormous emotion and it was simply uh the david niven character be, being played by tristan storick who had seen June from Ground Control that he'd fallen in love with as his plane was plummeting ablaze from the skies and then he sees her and, and, and he runs after her and it was the two of them coming together and it was your bravery and your way of not taking any notice of the perceived wisdom which of course makes work distinctive and it was such a beautiful emotional moment that was filled with passion and also if you listen really carefully you can hear um, the story of your grandfather who was a bell ringer um, who who rang his bells over fallen comrades in in the war um, and you can hear the bell ringing as well. So it was a combination of making work that is passionate and personal and daring and demanding bravery. It wasn't about someone learning all the notes and the lyrics. Sorry, that's a long answer. It's a perfect answer.
it's so emotional, Mike. I, I find it mm. almost hard to listen to. But for well, all it, the good reasons, it, all it, the good reasons. And it kind of encapsulates, certainly in those times, your direction for me, where we didn't quite know what you were after, but that was all part of the excitement of it all, which ties into something that I've kind of realised latterly, that because I was a teacher, and when I'm feeling very grand about myself, uh, I call myself an educationalist. But the one thing I've always believed in is it's not about getting things right. It's about exploring and playing. And 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 those those moments where your direction where we weren't we weren't just trying to get something right. We were playing with it and finding something and exploring something that's what made it all so exciting and so different it was so personal as well wasn't it we were so present and so and i I don't know i when when i saw that you'd chosen that i I thought at that time there was so much meaning around what we were doing and a purpose within the community it it was a, a thrilling time and thank you thank you for remembering my granddad and yeah the title is very poignant at the moment isn't it a matter of life and death yeah. Anyway, I'm going to move us on. And the chapter I've decided to talk about today, for lots of reasons, is Cymbeline. Ah. I know, that's a surprise, isn't it? Mm. <laughs> of all the shows. Um, I thought, I wanted to think about it because it's, I was thinking about you in particular. And one of the things, one of the many things that's exceptional about you is the way that you can take um, the the smallest part or even an imp- a, a part that doesn't exist and create a character that is so intoxicating and glorious that they almost steal the show. And um, Cymbeline was amazing because I cursed you as Cymbeline, so the titular Shakespearean king, and it was probably the part that you had the least interest in because I also cast you as Joan, which I we invented as a character, a storytelling device. Um, I thought to sort of answer some of the questions that Shakespeare hadn't solved, some of the poor writing, in my opinion. Um, So you played Joan, who had been living in Mallorca, but you also played a homeless character called Potsy. Now, this was not written. I didn't want Potsy in the play, but Potsy um, created himself. And I was so fond of him. He was the one who, when Imogen dressed up as a boy, she took Potsy's clothes. And this was just going to be sort of an extra by the fire. And he ended up dressed as a princess. But um, he ended up in Imogen's princess clothes while she was in his homeless clothes. But before you talk about it, which I'm interested to hear, I one of the things about this show that really stays with me is that when we were in Colombia with it, we met a young woman who was our translator and the show had had terrible reviews and we'll, we'll talk about that. A, 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 a quite a critical backlash from the Shakespearean community. But in Colombia, this young woman burst into tears and she held our hands, you and me, and said... The, the fact that one man, you, Mike Shepherd, could play a tyrant king like Chavez and also play a warm, kind woman like Joan and also play somebody that would be on the streets gave her hope that people are capable of all things and people are mm. capable of great horrors but also great goodness. And that decision which so many people in England had found annoying or trite had such Mm. meaning in Colombia and I felt that also really celebrated one of the things you do which is that you dig under the skin of the things on the that are working around the outsides of stories and you illuminate from the side you 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 come in from the from the left and you surprise us but as a director and as a, a a friend that is watching you build those surprise characters and find their way in is one of the great joys of my life, let alone my career. But talk to me a little bit about Cymbeline and those characters. Oh, well, thanks for saying all of that. That is, uh, yeah, it's brilliant. Um, I do feel slightly uh, a charlatan um, because, I mean, we've we've always made work and I've certainly believed in a chorus um, and one of the reasons I believe in a chorus is I can't bear the thought of part you're there on a stage with an audience and you're responsible for charging that space and then you play your scene and then you go back to your 
dressing room and watch um, European football or <laughs> or whenever to wait for your next call. That would be hopeless for me. I'd just be... Well, you would never I, come back, I mean, would you? No, I'd be asleep. I would definitely be asleep. <laughs> or doing some DIY. Um, You'd be in yeah. the gutter or something, wouldn't you? Yeah, no, I'd be fiddling around doing something, but I certainly wouldn't be in the world of the play. So I, I kind of have to, as an actor, stay in the world of the play. So that then puts me in a position where I am, if you like, in minor, but I am a chorus, but all the time just thinking, how can I contribute to, to to this story so yeah I I certainly don't analyse who Potsy might be um, and actually Potsy if Alex Fan is listening in um, <laughs> Potsy's based a bit on him where he's always he was always looking to see what somebody didn't want or you know he used to he used to look for scraps as well and, and <laughs> Alex I hope you aren't listening in I, I love you dearly and I'm not uh, I'm not having a go but Potsy was yeah based on this notion of uh, a stray dog looking for snacks. Um, yeah, um, and Columbia was such a brilliant thing. So, kind of slightly strangely, um, I'm furloughing at the moment. So, I've been furloughing uh, at the NEI stores where I possess, I believe, um, what the world's most expensive shipping container. <laughs> which Paul Cruz sold me and um, coming from Cornwall it's what we call a Cornish gift which is when you, you go ew I don't want this anymore you have it um, but it leaked um, and anyway I've had to have a new roof on it I've had to I've clad it I've insulated it to to keep my um, various meagre possessions in there and um, I came across an hour and a half ago the doll of Fanny Mikey, no. which I think is yours. Oh, so well, it's part of our shared history, isn't it? Yeah, well, I I shall keep it safe and give it back to you. But Fanny Mikey was this incredible Argentinian tango dancer um, who was a refugee and arrived in Colombia, and I can remember performing Cymbeline and we were at Birmingham Rep and the ICC centre had had a bomb scare and the show was cancelled um, and then we we did one show and then the next show was also cancelled because it was heavy snow and in that one show this 70 something year old glamorous woman in high heels um, came afterwards and barely spoke any English and said I'd take you to the pub and we, we went to the pub in Birmingham and she said, I want you to open my festival. And that was, and I thought, oh yeah, sure, that's not, that's not going to happen. And then, yeah, the very next March or April, there we are in Teatro Colón in Bogotá, which is still the most beautiful theatre I've ever been in, built in probably 1786 as an opera house where over a thousand people could see everything and the acoustic was just pure you could hear a pin drop and i remember we opened cymbeline and because she had spoken so passionately and because <coughs> in colombia you don't necessarily do things on time i think we were nearly two hours late starting the show <laughs> um but yeah to be away from uh certainly all those bad reviews in the in the uk and and that feeling about shakespeare and just to let the story live was was really eye-opening um when Bellarius says it was i that stole your children the audience gasped mm. uh my god it was him um uh, you know and you, you didn't get that reaction at all in the in certainly in England so I often think that uh, that was because I've been I, I think about it because I often think when you look at what happened at the Globe why didn't I see the writing on the wall when we did that version of Cymbeline at the RSC but for me that experience that I had in the auditorium of Cymbeline um, I fell in love with Shakespeare in that moment because yeah 
this ridiculous story in England or at Stratford of somebody who lost their children and was reunited. No, that wasn't serious. In Colombia, you were surrounded by people who all knew somebody that had disappeared, mm. who all knew somebody who was lost. And that yeah. women would be weeping when the boys were reunited with Cymbeline, weeping. And I can remember thinking, wow, this guy knew what he was doing. And I, I'm humbled. I was humbled by Fanny Mikey. I was humbled by Columbia. And I was humbled by the play. Let's listen to a little bit of the music.
Cold Light of Day, written by Stu Barker, with Dom Lawton on vocals again. I think about it more often than than I should, really, that experience, because I feel that the, the meaning of um, doing my first Shakespeare and the way we did it um, keeps unfolding. And one of the things that also links it to, to later is, I don't know if you remember, but just before I took over the Globe or, or went in as artistic director, I went on the Today programme and I was interviewed by John Humphreys. And he... He he was giving me a hard time, as he does everybody, and he was saying, um, so how are you going to modernise it? What do you mean you're going to simplify it? And I hadn't prepared, and I said, well, I think you can simplify the language. And he said, give me an example. And I thought, bloody hell. And I said, well, for example, in Cymbeline, in Fear No More, The Heat of the Sun, there's a line, there's a line which says, golden lads and girls all must as chimney sweepers come to dust. And I said, that's hard to understand because it was pre the Industrial Revolution and what are chimney sweepers and why are they coming to dust? And when you find out that they mean dandelions, if you put that, it keeps the scansion, it keeps the poetry, but it, it reveals the image. And I've since found out, I think they had more complaints about that than they've ever had. And that was sort of the beginning of the end, was the outcry that you would swap the word chimney sweepers for dandelions and what an insult that was. So the, the, the ripples of how we approached Shakespeare feel like they, they lapped against my shores for many, many years to come. And as I say, they don't, it, my memories don't diminish what I feel about Shakespeare, but um, made me think that was a tricky old world that I put my toe in. I got the wrong metaphor. Yeah, <laughs> completely, completely preposterous. Um, and I, I also remember Michael Billington saying about that song, um, you know, at last, you know, we get to hear Shakespeare's language, but he didn't appear to spot that um, only one verse was Shakespeare. And then Carl Groves had written the other verse. Um, I, I have to allow a small dog in a minute who's oh, demanding lovely. that I take her to the beach but it's not time Is it uh, do you remember as well with fear no more the heat of the sun we sang that in that beautiful domed salt mine where the salt miners had had carved a perfect acoustic for people to sing in as as is the way of colombian salt miners let's have a listen to fear no more the heat of the sun and mike do you remember i also read this at your dad's funeral
the heat of the sun composed by Stu barker words by william shakespeare and carl gross with dom lawton and mandy lawrence on vocals come on take me away from shakespeare mike what's your next song choice and why uh this is kate tempest people's faces um i've been to see Kate Tempest a few times, um, I suppose, over the last three years, and I find it so powerful. And I first heard this song actually in Victoria Park about a year ago. Um, let's not go into me about my fury about about the incompetence of the politics in this country, but um, suffice it to say. Um, I do feel like I've been fighting the Tories most of my life, um, Margaret Thatcher and onwards, and I find some solace for my anger in her voice. It's coming to pass. My country's coming apart. The whole thing's becoming such a bumbling farce. Was that a pivotal historical moment we just went stumbling past? Oh, here we are, dancing in the rumbling dark. So come a little closer, give me something to grasp. Give me your beautiful, crumbling heart. Another disaster, catharsis, another half-discarded mirage, another mask slips. I face off with the physical. My head's ringing from the love of the stars. There is too much pretense here. And too much depends on the fragile wages and extortionate rents here. We're working every dread day that is given us. Feeling like the person people meet really isn't us. Like we're gonna buckle underneath the trouble. Like any minute now the struggle's gonna finish us. And then we smile at all our friends. It's hard. We got our heads down and our hackles up, our backs against the wall. I can feel you aching. None of this was written in stone. There is nothing we're forbidden to know. And I can feel things changing. Even when I'm weak and I'm breaking, I stand weeping at the train station. Cause I can see your faces. There is so much peace to be found in people's faces. I saw it roaring. I felt it clawing at my clothes like a grieving friend. It said there are no new beginnings until everybody sees that the old ways need to end. But it's hard to accept that we're all one and the same flesh Given the rampant divisions between oppressor and oppressed But we are though More empathy Less greed More respect All I've got to say has already been said I mean you heard it from yourself When you were lying in your bed and couldn't sleep Thinking, couldn't we be doing this differently? I'm listening to every little whisper in the distance singing hymns and I can, I can feel things changing but it's so hard we got our heads down and our hackles up our backs against the wall I can feel your heart racing none of this was written in stone the current's fast but the river moves slow and I can feel things changing even when I'm weak and I'm breaking I stand weeping at the train station cause I can see your faces there is so much peace to be found in people's faces it's not enough to imagine we'll be happy when we've got enough stuff all this stuff is blocking us i'm neat with no chaser i'm all spirit but i'm sinking because these days are not days but strange symptoms and this age is our age, but our age is rage sinking to beige. 
And yes, our children are brave, but their mission is vague. Now, I don't have the answers, but there are still things to say. I stare out at my city on another difficult day and I scream inwardly, when will this change? I'm beginning to fade, but my sanity's saved because I can see your faces. My sanity's saved. Because I can see your faces, it's hard. We got our heads down and our hackles up, our backs against the wall. I could feel your heart racing. None of this was written in stone. The current's fast, but the river moves slow. And I can feel things changing. Even when I'm weak and I'm breaking, I stand weeping at the train station. Because I can see your faces. I love people's faces. She's amazing. Brilliant choice. Brilliant choice. Oh. Yeah, it's, um, I mean, something I've realised, we talked earlier, the first question, we talked about freedom and it was always about freedom, really, knee high. Uh, and, and joy, absolutely. It, uh, it was always um, mildly amusing more than perplexing how theatre normally becomes so stressful. I think, oh, surely you can enjoy yourself. <laughs> Invent a character like Potsy. What's the point of doing it if there's not the joy? But that is linked to freedom. But the other thing uh, at this stage, let's say of my professional development <laughs> is I've kind of been thinking shouldn't it be getting easier by now um, and I've talked to you about that as well isn't it time that I shouldn't have to keep fighting for everything keep fighting it feels like a fight and then I realize of course I've got to keep fighting and and that's all right um, and yeah I hope I hope that those future generations, whether they're Tempest or my granddaughter Esme, I hope they keep fighting too, because we need to. Well, thank you for fighting. I've, as I say, I've lived and worked with you for many years, and there's times when I I feel for you with the fight, you know, because you're you're a born fighter, not physically, you know, fighting for what is right and what is just, and I think there's a cost for that with you, and I. But I thank you for it because too many of us stop fighting or give up the fight or think it's not worth it. And I've never known you not think it's worth it. Um, come on, what's your next record? Um, I don't know how to pronounce this. I, I think Me she's neither. maybe That's called Gail. I thought I'd leave it to you. Go on. Gail Suankyol. But she's just this brilliant, you know how things... That, that's one of the marvels of social media. Oh, and one of the marvels of having a daughter. Have a look at this, Dad. Um, but yeah, she popped up somewhere, and I thought, oh, she's brilliant. And again, um, as this to quote Kate Tempest, as this country falls apart, and even as Cornwall tries to go on about identity, and you know, and and he's a fractured place because. Um, well, of all sorts of reasons, the economy, the vote, voting to leave the European Union, which has made so many brilliant things happen here, the large percentage of second homes, the, the loss of community, etc. So there's there's quite often pressure on me. When you're going to get back to village halls or turn up and do some Cornish stories, and there's a there's a there's a kind of quaintness about it and i'd like to do something funky we've still got a van i'd love to i'd love to turn up um with krishna who's taken over a pub in mervagizzi and turned it into a really kind of cool bar he's also providing he's turned it into a bakery um he was up here yesterday with me and we were smoking mackerel so he's he's become a key worker because he's providing so much good food and what he doesn't know about sustainable and seasonal food isn't isn't worth knowing um so i'd love to to turn up with him and a van and 
this brilliant Turkish woman, and I, I, whether it's in Penwithic or, or somewhere else in the world that we're still allowed to travel to, <laughs> I'd, I'd love to her to spill out and us to all dance and to listen to that singing and to to taste that food. That that sounds like a better option than crowding into some auditorium to watch something behind a proscenium. I'm in.
you will always be the master of the good night out and that description just makes my oh makes me start dribbling yeah and add add yourself Nandi Bebe Patricia Kiyowska and oh my god we could uh, spread the love and the joy oh yeah uh, and and the naughtiness um (laughs) no I wouldn't choose a sea shanty in a Morris dance I'd choose (laughs) Guy Suankyo sounds fabulous right I'm going to draw this to an end, although I think we should do it again because we've got so many projects to talk about. But for today, sure. um, the thing that jumped out of me is when you were talking about being in the space and you said that you always think, how can I contribute? And I just think that sums you up, really, that you have the biggest heart and spirit of generosity of anybody I've ever met. So I want to thank you in these moments where we have a chance to reflect on all the amazing things that we've had the privilege to experience. So to thank you for your generosity and your passion, your tenacity, your vision, your humour and your soul-stabilising loyalty. Mike Shepherd, you're the leader of the pack. You embrace change, you are change. And this song, you know, means a lot to me and it means a lot to you as well. Thank you. Things are going to change. John Lee Hooker.
a memory or connection you'd like to share on tea and biscuits leave us a message on our phone line 0117 318 3846 that's 0117 318 3846 keep checking our social media for details of our next show tea and biscuits is part of wise children's lockdown thanks for hanging out with us bye <laughs>